0: If you're staying here, we've got an opportunity to hear from God's Word. If you have a Bible, please turn in it to 1 Peter, chapter 5. We're starting a new sermon series today. It's called Our Shaping Virtues. And I borrowed that title from a document that you can find on our denominational website. Um, It's a reflection of on the particular qualities or traits of Sovereign Grace churches that have been the fruit of the gospel in our churches over the 40-plus years that we've been a denomination. It's not a list of all the Christian virtues, but just the ones that which, by God's grace, have shaped us. They have been what you would expect to see and experience uh, if you come into one of our churches Um, The seven virtues are humility, joy, gratitude, encouragement, generosity, servanthood, and godliness. That's going to be what our series is like for the next seven weeks. Now, the first time I encountered that package was back in the year 2000. We were part of a church in Minnesota that wasn't a Sovereign Grace Church, We had heard about Sovereign Grace churches, and we went to their small group leaders conference in November of 2000 because we wanted to learn about small group ministry, and we heard they were good at that. Well, we went to it, to this conference, and I don't remember anything I learned about small group ministry, but I remember the environment, that it oozed these values, this joy This holiness based on sound doctrine, this encouragement, this camaraderie, and all of that was rooted in this enjoyment of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we left that conference resolved, but we were going to become a Sovereign Grace Church, however that worked. (laughs) And then two years later, we did. And then we went as a family to the pastor's college. And then that eventually landed us here. In Aurora. So I personally have a lot of uh, appreciation for what God has done with these virtues, worked into the people's lives that we we were in contact with and are in contact with. These are fruits of the gospel, fruits of the spirit. So we're going to spend our time looking at these seven over the weeks, and today we're going to start with humility. And for that, our central text is 1 Peter 5, verses 5-7. through I'm going to read that and then ask for the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Let's pray. I know that we will experience that care this morning. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to your truth. Impress now this text into our lives and produce in us this virtue that is called humility. And what a beautiful thing it is. We thank you that it's your desire to do that, that you will conform us more and more into the image of Christ. So we ask you to do that work again this morning in his name. Amen. Well, just before I graduated from the pastor's college in 2003, which it's hard to believe that was 20 years ago, Jeff Perswell, the dean of the college, invited me out for lunch. And his goal was to give me some parting words of encouragement right as we were about to graduate and leave and go back to our churches. And uh, I have not forgotten what he said to me he began by saying, "Mark, you could become one of our finest pastors." And at that moment I'm thinking, "I like where this is going." You know, <laughs> I like the sound of that. Tell me more. He finished his sentence, "Mark, you could become one of our finest pastors if you put away false humility." Ooh. That didn't sound as good. I don't think I'd ever been told that about myself, that I worked with false humility. I was taken aback because just as it sounds, it meant that I had been operating with a kind of pride that was being disguised as humility. And his point was that if I keep going that way, it's going to be an obstacle to my effectiveness as a pastor. And I've learned since then that pride, pride is not just an obstacle to your effectiveness as a pastor. Pride is an obstacle to, obstacle to our thriving in all of life. And more than that, pride is inconsistent with the message of God's grace to us in Christ. But humility is the soil out of which many good things grow, which is what we're going to see in this text. So the context of our passage is that the Apostle Peter is writing to the churches. They're spread all over the Roman Empire in various places. They're undergoing suffering and persecution for their faith. And then there's this pressure in their lives to do one of two things. You can either like run and hide from the world, or you can like just join the world and become like them and do what everybody else does. And so Peter's writing to them. And he's reminding them about the Lord's ways. What is fitting for those who are followers of Jesus, regardless of your circumstances? And one of those things is to walk in humility. Two times Peter says to humble ourselves. Verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So there's a horizontal component to humility, it's toward one another, and there's this vertical component to it, that it is toward God. And true humility has both of those aspects at the same time. We're going to learn from each of those two in turn, starting with the horizontal aspect of humility, which is to humble yourself toward one another. Verse 5 says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Let's stop there and make some observations. First of all, notice that this is a command. Clothe yourselves with humility. So like getting dressed in the morning, pursuing humility is a decision. It's something that you decide you are going to wear. Just as you don't wake up in the morning already clothed for the day, at least I hope not, unless you went to bed in your work clothes, but most of us wake up and we have to put something on, right? Just as you have to wake up and put something on, so we also have to put something on in the morning, every day. We have to put on humility because we are not going to wake up naturally humble people. No one's going to say to you, Yesterday, you were so proud, but today you're so humble. What happened? And you go, I don't know. It just happened. (laughs) Says no one ever. (laughs) It doesn't just happen. You got to put it on like you put on your work clothes. What exactly is humility? What's that garment look like? Let me offer a definition and then explain where it comes from. Humility is the posture and practice of lowering yourself with respect to others. The posture and practice of lowering yourself with respect to others. You could say it another way, the opposite way, that it's the posture and the practice of elevating others who are around you. Here's where that comes from. Verse 5 is one sentence in the original Greek language. One continuous progression of thought where the first part flows into the second. The first part is this exhortation to younger members of the churches to be subject to the elders. That means let your pastors lead you. Recognize they've been given charge over you in the Lord to lead you to Christ. And those things are described in previous verses so it's taking a lower rank so to speak in this god ordained order of things that's what he's saying to the younger men the younger people but not to leave it there with just the younger people paul or peter expands the idea out to include everybody in the church. He says there's something about that younger, men, younger people subjecting to the elders. There's, there's an element of that that applies to everybody. It applies to the young people and it applies to the elders. It applies to the whole church. What is that thing? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Humility is an expression of lowering yourself with regard to others or it's elevating other people around us. We need some idea of what that looks like. And we have an excellent picture of it in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. That says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You hear the language there of lowering yourself and elevating others. Humility is demonstrated when you consider others more consist, more significant. You count them more significant than yourself. When you look to their interests, not only to your own interests, which we do naturally, but you're looking at other people's interests. In other words, you don't make yourself the center of attention. Your attention goes to those around you. You place a value on other people, and you look for ways to meet their needs and build them up. The comedian Brian Regan has a very funny and insightful monologue about the me Monster. Anybody heard that? I think there's a few Brian Regan fans here. The Meme Monster... He imagines this conversation where he describes the me monster. He's this guy who goes on and on about all of his exploits and his fine qualities. And so he's been traveling the globe doing this and that. He's got Swiss, Swiss bank accounts. you know. He's, been, he's driven on the Autobahn, and he's going on and on. He's going on a roll, and he's getting more and more worked up. And he gets to the end, and he's beating his chest. Me, me, me. I'm not doing as good as he did, but it's insightful. Pride is all about me. The focus is me. The assumption is, I am more significant than you. My interests matter more than yours. And unfortunately, that's not just comedy. That's real life. That's in our hearts. Have you ever... Turn to conversation to make it all about you. To draw unnecessary and unhelpful attention to yourself. I'm not talking about the normal ebb and flow of exchanging updates on your life or information that's relevant to the discussion or answering a question about how how are you. We do all that. That's normal. But I'm talking about that impulse, that, that instinct even, to draw attention to your significance and your interests and make that the whole subject that we're going to talk about. It could look like a couple of things. One is fishing for praise. Let me tell you all the ways that I am great, in case you're not aware. And then your proper response is admiration. <laughs> You know, I paid off my house. Doesn't that show you how great I am with money? I didn't, but let's say somebody did. (laughs) Could be something like this I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I obey God's commands. Look what a great Christian I am. Now, it's right to be wise with money, it's right to practice the spiritual disciplines. But Proverbs 27.2 reminds us, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. To be praised is good when you've done something praiseworthy, but to be seeking praise is pride. But pride doesn't always look like fishing for praise. It can also be looking like fishing for sympathy. Let me tell you all the ways that I am a victim in case you are not aware. And then your proper response is to agree with me that I deserve far better. My job stinks, my bills are piling up, nobody cares what's going on with me. The subject matter might be different, but the heart is the same. I want attention, I want everybody to see that I'm being treated the wrong way and I should be treated much better because I'm important. The focus is still on self. Now there's certainly a place for sharing our struggles, asking for prayer. We need that. We need encouragement, we need comfort. but there's an attitude that says, "I am, and there is no one besides me," which is a quote from Isaiah 47:8. "Let's just talk about me. But what does humility look like? Humility turns the attention outward to other people count others more significant than yourselves look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others it's a lowering yourself with respect to others it's elevating those around you and we know who did that for us and who left us with the perfect example and that's Jesus That's where the Philippians 2 passage goes next. Having described what humility looks like, Paul says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, have this mind among yourselves, and we're talking about humility here, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's a wonder of wonders. Jesus, who was in fact and is in fact equal with God, being God the Son in human flesh, He's equal with God. Nevertheless, he didn't grasp that. He didn't take full advantage of that. Rather, he lowered himself to become our servant. He took the blame and the punishment for our sins. He bore the wrath. He sealed our pardon for everybody who puts their trust in Christ as Savior. Jesus God the Son counted us more significant than Himself. Does that blow your mind? (laughs) We're not more significant, but He counted us that way. The Son of God came in flesh to die for us. This is why humility is the fruit of the gospel. How can we be self-focused when Jesus gave his life for us? It's our privilege, it's our honor to follow in his footsteps, to give grace to those around us, to look for ways to elevate them, to build them up, to look to their interests. And that takes intentionality because naturally we just look to our own interests. We do need to take care of our own lives, but that can become an all-consuming thing, can't it? Putting on this garment of humility requires a decision to think about other people and do things that show that you value them, that you're aware of their needs. It needs to be like in your calendar, in your planner. I'm going to do this thing because naturally we're not going to. And that might look like simple things like responding to the meal train for the next baby that's born (laughs) or somebody who's sick, the prayer chain. You know, somebody needs something. Okay, let's, let's put them on our mind right now. Let's set aside the thing I was thinking about, and I'm going to think about them for the next five minutes. I'm going to pray for them. It looks like servanthood, which is another virtue that we'll be looking at in this series. It looks like hospitality. Have somebody over and feed them and get to know them. Take an interest in their life. Maybe there's opportunities there for celebration of amazing things that have gone on and and sorrow, things that you can weep with. That's, That's what it looks like to be thinking about others' interests. One really practical way to practice humility and to show that you value people is just to ask questions. Just ask questions. Instead of coming into the conversation ready to spill out everything that's on my mind and that I want to talk about, take that moment to ask a question and follow-up questions. Just who are you? What's been going on in your life? What are your challenges? What are your excitements? That is a way of showing love. That is a way of showing you matter. That is a way of practicing humility, elevating those around us. And it leads to genuine community who doesn't want that (laughs) in their life. We're actually made to have that in our life. Well, Peter goes on to the end of verse 5. He gives us incentives for why we should do this. Here's what it says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So there's two reasons why we are to put on this garment called humility every day. The first one is because if you don't, God will oppose you. God opposes the proud. Now, whatever that, sounds, whatever that really means in the details, one thing we know for sure, that doesn't sound like a formula for success, to have God opposing you. <laughs> because God is almighty, and God is everywhere. That is not somebody that you want to be up against. It's like you're playing one-on-one basketball. And against a player who can block every shot you take, who can score at will, and who is guaranteed to win. Like, you don't want to be playing against that guy. You want that guy on your team, right? (laughs) God is like that. He can do anything that he wants in his opposition to our pride. Now, since this incentive is directed at Christians, it assumes that you know that God is for you in Jesus Christ. He is not opposed to you personally. He sent his own son to the cross to forgive you and make you his own son or daughter. So God is for you in Christ, but God is opposed to your pride. In the list of seven things that are an abomination to the Lord in Proverbs chapter 6, the first one on the list is haughty eyes, another way of saying pride. He hates that. That's an abomination to him. That isn't anything to do with his nature. So he's in the business of forming humility in us. And it will be less painful if you pursue it than if he forces it on you. And King Nebuchadnezzar found that out. So in the book of Daniel, we have the the account of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He's walking around on his palace, and he's looking out over the city that he built, and he's boasting about it, boasting about that he made all of this, quote, for the glory of my majesty. And God said, oh, really? You built all this for you and for your glory. Okay, well, let me show you what you can do without me. And he removed his grace from the king who went crazy and he ate grass like beasts of the field and his fingernails grew like claws and he was wet with the dew of heaven. And so he was this crazy man running around out in the fields who didn't rule anything, not even himself. Until one day he came to his senses And Nebuchadnezzar said, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. (laughs) He is able. He is absolutely able. God has every tool at his disposal to humble us, to oppose our prize. It It may not be as dramatic as going crazy and losing everything, But he has his ways. God can frustrate any plan that you make. Like sometimes when something's just not working and you keep trying and trying and trying, it's like this isn't going anywhere. It's it's at least worth the question, Lord, what are you trying to say to me right now? (laughs) I mean, maybe it doesn't have to do with pride, but maybe it does. Maybe you're just trying to humble me here. Maybe you've got to deal with my self-sufficiency, my thought that I can just do it without you. He can frustrate our plans. He can let you go down a foolish path, until you suffer the consequences, like the prodigal son who one day returned and said, "You know, it was actually better with my father. I go go back there." God has all sorts of ways of making His people humble, but His goal is always redemptive. He's conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus. He's renewing us into His likeness. Humility. Is a garment that looks good on followers of Jesus. And that leads to the second incentive that we're given to clothe ourselves with humility. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God's grace is his undeserved favor to sinners who deserve only judgment for our sins. And we begin to experience that grace when we humble ourselves by repenting of our sin. And trust in Christ as our Savior. By grace you have been saved, is what Paul said in Ephesians 2. That's saving grace. But there's also enabling and sustaining grace that we experience every day. The Lord gives us divine assistance as we humble ourselves and follow Jesus on the path of obedience. My grace is sufficient for you, is what the Lord said to Paul. He says, Okay, great. then I can boast about my weaknesses because your grace is going to be enough. God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's Titus 2.12. Humility is the virtue that unlocks the experience of many of those blessings because God gives grace to the humble. It's in our own best interest to humble ourselves. And to do that towards others. It puts us in the flow of abundant grace. But humility is not all horizontal toward one another. It's also vertical towards God. So that comes to the second point. This is the vertical aspect. Humble yourself toward God. Let's read verse 6, first part of it again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So we'll stop there. The word therefore means there's a link between our humility toward one another and toward God. The previous command was clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, and now it's humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Peter is saying those two things go together. Clothing yourself with humility towards one another also requires that you humble yourself under God's mighty hand. You won't do the first without the second. Humility toward others flows out of our humility towards God. And that's the, here's the reason for that. It's pretty hard to treat others as more significant than yourselves if you actually think that you are more significant. <laughs> you know? It won't be real if I think I'm actually the most important person in the room. I can tell you that in my early years, I genuinely thought that about myself. I assumed that whenever I walked into a room, it was an upgrade to whatever was going on. (laughs) I'm serious. Because I had success in school, I was athletic, I was popular, I thought that equals most important guy in the room. We lose our arrogance when we recognize our lower place before God. God is mighty, and you have limitations. I have limitations. God is creator. You are created. God is self-sufficient. You are dependent. God controls all things. You control almost nothing. God is our provider. We have nothing we didn't receive, including our abilities and talents true humility comes from a right assessment of our lower place before God. It's to depend on Him and trust in His mighty hand and acknowledge His rightful place over us. Now, here's something that needs to be said about that. It's true that our own sins should humble us. They show us that we fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Like Winston Churchill said about one of his colleagues, he was a modest little man who had a great deal to be modest about. (laughs) Or humble is what he meant. Our sins should humble us. But humility isn't fundamentally about sin. Jesus was sinless and he was humble. So humility is more about happily embracing our place under the mighty hand of God. It's about confident trust in God and living with the reality that He is sovereign over all things. Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, obedient to God the Father, not because He had sinned, but because He was submitting Himself to the Father's will to rescue sinners. A humble person isn't somebody without any ambition to do great things. Jesus did the greatest thing that has ever happened, which was to go to the cross and save a people forever. No, a humble person is someone who confidently obeys God and seeks God's glory, trusting in God's mighty hand and not in their own hand. I didn't have that perspective when I went to the pastor's college. I mentioned Jeff Perswell and how he called me out on false humility. And he said it was going to be an obstacle to becoming an effective pastor. What he was referring to was my habit of self-loathing. Self-loathing. I had gotten over the assumption that I was the greatest person that I knew, and I went the other way, that I'm the worst person that exists, And I thought humility was to dwell on how terrible I was and to reject any kind of encouragement. So when people would say something like, well, that was a good message, or I really liked what you wrote there, I would always downplay that. I would counter it. I would say, well, it could have been better, or, you know, it really wasn't that good. Well, that's not humility. Because it still says, I know better than you about my work, (laughs) I have a better assessment. Yours is is faulty, and mine is accurate. And it denies God glory for his work in his life. What do we have that we did not receive? If he's done something praiseworthy, then give him the glory. So I learned the best way to handle an encouragement is just say thank you. Isn't God good? (laughs) Self-loathing isn't humility. Humility. Humility is happily resting under his sovereign mighty hand and treating him as our God. And Peter tells us a way we practice that. This command to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, it comes with a way of doing it in verse 7. I'll put those two together. Here's the flow of thought. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your worries on God is how you humble yourself before God. Why? Because you're treating Him as God. You're treating Him as the one who's mighty and can do anything, and He cares about you. And if those things are true, then the way you humble yourself is to admit it, live that way, and cast those cares onto Him. Go to Him. Treat Him like He is. He is God. Casting anxieties is the practice of humility, which makes prayer an act of humility, because that's where this casting is done. You pour out your heart to God, you you lay your concerns at the throne of grace, and then you let Him take up the issue from there. You, You leave your prayer time with the knowledge, God has heard me. The God who cares, the God who is almighty, has heard me. And he will now do what is consistent with care, with wisdom, in his way, his timing. So I can walk away from this time and go do my next thing and not have to drag that care with me. One of the old saints said, it is our work to cast care and it is God's work to take care. (laughs) Our trouble is just the casting kind of always has a string attached and we keep bringing it back in. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know if that worked. Let me try that again, you know, or something. Like, it's hard to, like, get rid of it. That care weighs on us. But, but we can be carefree if we genuinely, genuinely believe that God is mighty and God cares and he has heard me. And he sent his son to bring me into this intimate relationship with him so that I can know that he cares and will do everything that's right for me. So we just go to him in prayer and we humble ourselves. Prayerlessness is pride because somehow we don't think we need to ask God. We don't need to talk to him about it. We've got this. We humble ourselves in prayer. It honors God to be dependent on him. He invites us. to to be dependent. We are dependent. One last thing before we close. Just as there are incentives for humbling ourselves toward others, there's an incentive for humbling ourselves toward God. And it's in verse 6. Here's what the whole verse says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. It's one of the counterintuitive truths in Scripture that lowering yourself actually leads to your elevation. Humbling yourself leads to God exalting you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord is not against your exaltation. He is not against you being celebrated and praised and honored. In fact, He promises He will do it after you have humbled yourself in dependence on Him. It's just that we're to let Him do it and not attempt to do it ourselves. We wait for Him to choose the proper time. We don't choose it for ourselves. You might get some of that exaltation and honor in this life. Somebody might take notice of a good thing that you've done and encourage you in it. They may publicly thank you. They may give you a gift. But we're not guaranteed that because it's not unusual to be overlooked by others. But God will not overlook you. He will exalt you at the proper time if your faith is in Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of that is in the resurrection. God promises that you will be exalted to glory with Christ. Philippians passage again at the end, Philippians 2.9, says about Jesus, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Because Jesus lowered himself in humility to the cross, God raised him from the grave and exalted him to the name that's above every name. And God will do the same thing for those whose trust is in Jesus. We will rise from the grave into glory with Jesus. Paul spoke of it in the past tense in Ephesians 2. He said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's as good as done. Humility leads to glory, the glory of eternal life in the presence of Christ. So I'll close with this. Gospel culture is characterized by humility. And that's the kind of a community that we can thrive in. I mean, can you imagine anything better than the fellowship with a people who are all counting each other as more important than themselves, more significant, who are all looking not only to their own interests, but also for your interests? <laughs> I mean, and all that motivated by, by God's grace, motivated to be under the hand of the mighty God who cares about us? I mean, can we, can we have a better scenario than that? I don't think so. That's beautiful. That's healthy community. That speaks about the transformation that Jesus came into this world to bring. So let's choose to put on the garment of humility. God helping us every day. Put it on with your morning clothes, your wardrobe, your work clothes. Put, that, put on humility along with that. That is the soil out of which many good things grow. So let's pray. We ask for your help in that, Lord, first starting with the fact that even our pursuit of humility is not the thing that saves us. Jesus saves us. You have sent him to rescue us. You have made us, as many as have put their faith in you, you have made us your sons and daughters. We are secure. You, you are not opposed to us. You are for us. And yet, you want us to be more and more like Jesus. And we want to be more like him because there's joy and freedom in that renewal. And so, Lord, we ask for that work in our lives. We thank you for the humility of Christ that saves through the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing about our humble king who came to